Welcome to the Common Cause for Sustainability podcast for University of Washington Bothell and Cascadia College. My name is Alexa Russo, UW Bothell Sustainability Coordinator. And I'm Stefan Claussen, Assistant Director of Sustainable Practices at Cascadia College. We'll be your hosts today. This podcast focuses on sustainability and environmental efforts, bringing a worldly perspective to our joint campus community and inspire action around common sustainability causes. This is episode six, and today's cause will be Edible Campus Landscape. Today, we're really excited to have a special guest on our podcast, Tyson Kemper. Tyson, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hello, everybody. My name is Tyson Kemper, and I'm currently the ground supervisor here on campus. I see no boundaries between UW, Bothell, and Cascadia. I see just the campus landscape as a whole. I've been here over 15 years now, started as a gardener on campus, moved up to a lead gardener, and currently am ground supervisor. I can't tell you how special it has been to be able to work on a piece of land for that long. It's been a truly remarkable experience, particularly in the city to have a space that's as diverse as this one in order to practice my arts and just engage the natural world. And also it's a public space. And so everything that I do is, you know, is part of a collective. And I really, really value that experience as well. So happy to be here with you today to talk about one of my favorite things, which is, I guess, two of my favorite things, food and gardening. And we've been so, we've been so lucky to have you on campus. You're such a steward and you're, you've got a very sustainability minded perspective when trying to plan our landscape and our management practices and things like that. And we just really appreciate that. And it's, it's really inclusive, the efforts you do too, right? I mean, I meet all sorts of different people from different parts of campus that I was like, oh yeah, I know Tyson. It's great what he does. And it's, it's wonderful. I love the farm and the food forest and things. And it's all thanks to your effort in a lot of ways. Definitely. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Uh, it's an honor. I mean, connecting with, with people is certainly one of the things about this position that brings me the most satisfaction at the end of the day. And as a gardener in public space, I mean, we're not, I think I can speak for the crew as well. We're not here to create spaces in which we control the outcomes. And I say that both in terms of controlling them so that they function in a way in which other people are not allowed to interact with them and to manipulate them. And I really value that aspect of public gardening and also you know, we're managing these spaces in a way that we're not trying to control the influences of nature either. And so we're welcoming this force of nature into the landscape. And I think that's reflected in the aesthetics. It's also reflected in the plant diversity and the plant form. It's reflected in the wildlife that comes here onto campus. And by welcoming nature into the garden and welcoming people into the garden, there's that interaction between the public and the natural world that you don't get if you try to practice gardening in a much more controlled manner. So that's conscious on our part. And we've been trying to cultivate that interaction, which we value ourselves because we get to, you know, by benefit of our jobs, interact in that way with nature every day. But we want people to be able to walk through campus and not just from the sidewalk, uh, observe the pretty flowers that, you know, might put a you know, a smile on their face, we really want them to walk through campus and see the pretty flowers and experience 
the landscape that not only puts a smile on their face, but also a feeling inside of them, you know, a upwelling in their heart or a, a new perspective on in their psyche, something that they don't anticipate that they can't really put a finger on. And then maybe they don't even realize until they get home that something had happened. That's the power of both public spaces and the power of, of nature. And wow, that in talking about this and hearing myself talk, it's the, the power of the profession of a gardener is such a sacred thing that I'm honored to have fallen into it. Yeah. And I think you've kind of formulated part of the identity of Utah Bothley and Cascadia College through the way that you manage the landscape, because it's definitely unique and traditional college campuses, you'll see just mowed, manicured lawns mm-hmm. and, you know, very mm, planned and organized right. flower beds almost, and things like that. No native plants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we, we have been organically managing our campus since 2000, the spring of 2006. And that's unique as well. And that takes a lot of effort, a lot of planning, and that's pretty remarkable as well especially for 135 acres of campus. <laughs> Not a small task. And a lot of what you're talking about now, Tyson, that sort of leads into kind of the, the mission sort of for this, this episode of the podcast of the like edible landscape and permaculture management of grounds. Mm-hmm. So could you tell us a little more about that for the listeners? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, starting from this idea of you know organic land management, you can look a little deeper in that and describe it as, a permaculture mindset, which is about people existing on this earth and in such a way as to at least maintain its viability and its production over time and its value over time. But maybe more importantly is to increase that value over time. And that, you know, is connects back to the stewardship and, and how we and how we choose to engage the landscape and, and cultivate it. You know, starting in 2006 was the year that I started here. And a few months after I started, was lucky enough to be a part of this movement that was already taking place in which the, you know, facilities director at Utah Bothell had decided to start managing the landscape organically come, come spring of 2006. Um, and that really helped set the stage for a transformation, obviously, in the way that the grounds was managed and, and looked and felt. But in retrospect, that was such a powerful moment for the campus as a whole because it gave an opportunity to define our identity. And as a branch campus, Utah Bothell, that's important to distinguish itself from the other campuses of Seattle and for Cascadia in really trying to forge their way in this world through education to give them something that they could connect an identity with. Uh, and that sort of finds some of our landscape area elements, right? Because mm-hmm. that mission start that's let us intentionally build and design certain areas on campus to be more caring about these kind of missions and goals, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And as a designer of the landscape, wow, having a clear mission like that and a clear identity as you said, Stefan, really lends itself to how do we develop the landscape? And of course, if we're thinking about permaculture and we're thinking about living sustainably and having that be our identity, food, food security, that, that aspect of what nature can provide to humans in a clean, in a healthy, in a regenerative way is so key. And so the food 
and more food focused spaces on campus is this, I think this natural evolution of that, that identity and that mission early on. And where did this idea of edible landscaping like, was there an inspiration point that you had when you were thinking through designing the landscape with edibles? I mean, from humanity's perspective, you could almost argue that colleges wouldn't exist. This pursuit of higher education and this quest for knowledge and art and science um, wouldn't exist if it wasn't for agriculture, if it wasn't for humans need to hunt and gather and always work to sustain themselves, if it wasn't for the fact that agriculture began to be practiced, freed up time for a majority of these populations to then settle and to expand their perspectives and their enterprises. If it wasn't for food, then this place, if it wasn't for agricultural food, this place wouldn't exist. So yeah, that's going way back. I'm sorry, as far as inspiration goes. Well, and it's interesting too, to think about because campus was a cattle ranch and I guess I've never thought of it that way. Like our history is literally rooted in the production of food and trying to, you know, even duck hunting and things like Mm -hmm. that happened on this land. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's very deeply rooted in our identity. And, yeah. and then this transition, I think, ties really well to kind of mirroring kind of how society has developed in the area, right? I mean, from mm-hmm. logging and agriculture to more of an urban and now educational space to then back to more of a sustainable, holistic look at, you know, what our landscape looks like while we're using it in new different in different ways. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good point you bring up about the, the farm. See, that's the next jump. You know, we're humanity's rooted in the development of agriculture in our pursuits, you know, following that. But yeah, this campus is rooted in that same agricultural story. Um, It's really nice to have that history to be able to touch as a touchstone for how we develop. Um, It wasn't, I don't think, conscious at the beginning when we created this identity for ourselves. But boy, has it played into a beautiful, holistic story. And, And I think it makes it just feel right. Like this path was almost inevitable for us, it is the path of this land um, to continue in that way. So yeah, that's really, um, that's really cool. Um, and I think that makes it special, right? For students, for staff, for faculty, for admin, yeah. right? For people to actually be part of this campus and, and mm-hmm. enjoy coming to this landscape for work or school. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I can't miss this opportunity to plug the fact that there, so the Trulies, the Boone and Truly family union that came together in you know in the 20th century were the family that owned this land for you know much of the 1900s and farmed it and ranched it and of course they had children and the children worked and lived and grew up on this land and we are lucky enough to have a truly that's was born and raised on this piece of land that's that works for Utah Bothell and never had to leave this piece of land continued to work on it since he was a child. So that's super special to have that connection. Um, It's almost like it connects us. uh, We have this thread to like the ghosts of this place and the, the, the fabric um, is still existing here. So um, I want to give a shout out to Jeff truly and all he's done um, both for this land um, and for 
uh, our education. I think he's he's the one who's connected all of us. I know Alexa, Stefan, myself to the history of this place in a really personal way, which is fantastic. But to your question, Alexa, that you asked about the inspiration for creating food gardens on this campus in the last you know 10 years, the education of the students at UW Bothell and Cascadia has tended to gravitate in some respects to the idea of sustainability, the idea of, um, as, as all college education does, is, is imagining the future, a better future. And so you educate yourselves to that end. And so by that process, the students are in their classes and they're learning a lot about sustainability. They're learning a lot about food justice and uh, equitable societies and resource conservation, climate change, stewardship of this earth so that we can all survive what's coming, prosper. And it just made sense as, especially as the grounds department connected more and more with the educational process and these students, that the students need to be able to walk out of their classroom and not just be carrying the book with the experience that they need to be learning about, but to be able to go out of their classrooms and actually experiencing experience what they're learning in the classrooms. And so, so by living having, laboratory, right? That yeah, living laboratory the living laboratory. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty clear that if we didn't have that direct connection, that we're missing out on a huge opportunity of what this campus's educational thrust is. And so that was the you know, the easiest inspiration to see is, whoo, there's a need, there's a hole, we can fill that with food. And the other, I guess, longer answer is that it's kind of always been here. When I arrived on campus, there was a defunct community garden, quote unquote, community garden, that was near the Chase House here on the south end of campus in the location of the new warehouse. And it was, um, overgrown and it was within that first year that I was here that a few staff members attempted to revive it and so it's always been here and there's been many iterations of the community garden or the farm or edible landscapes that have tried to take root over time thanks in large part to you two I think we finally reached a point where this food landscape these food opportunities are going to persist on campus. So that's a great transition. Tyson, do you want to kind of tell us about the main growing areas on campus and sort of their history and what inspired them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd love to. Well, I'm starting with the farm space, uh, Cascadia, their biology department coming in to some money for to support experiential learning and really jumped in with two feet as an institution and said, we want some raised beds so that the biology department has some growing space outdoors in which a whole host of anything to support the education could happen. And so they claimed a piece of land, threw down some money and got three raised beds built. The first three raised beds at what is now our campus farm site. And they're the three taller cedar raised beds at the northeastern corner of that site. And so, of course, um, that re-energized the UW Bothell group and said, this 
can happen. It can, just like the first person who did that backflip on the motorcycle, took a long time for the first person to do it. But once the first person did it, then all of a sudden everybody could do backflips on their motorcycles. I like to think that it just, Cascadia's you know, leadership in that really paved the way to show how simple and how in line with the, with the mission of education on this campus really is, how easy it could be. So it was great. And it also shows how, how um, it's so great that we have two institutions that you know, function differently on this campus. We're certainly stronger together than we are apart, which is fantastic. So you know, really re-inspired the UW Bothell group they also started to open up their mind as to this this should be a campus-wide initiative this should be a partnership so this whole frustration with trying to find a piece of land that was you know gonna be not developed for a portion of time or that would be appropriate or meet certain expectations cascadia really showed the way shine the light exactly on the space that you know that could be a farm moving forward and so this was after a good year and a half, I would say, of the UW Bothell group meeting, you know, almost every other week, compiling reams and reams of papers and documents. About 2014, early 2014 is when Cascadia really broke ground, put in those race beds. And unfortunately, it still took UW a few years to catch up, but by 2016, there was institutional support and just like, you know, just like a younger sibling following in its bigger siblings. Footsteps, the UW mirrored Cascadia's three cedar raised beds with three of quote unquote their own. So now we have a piece of land that's established as a farm space, as an experiential learning space. Both institutions had invested money into it, had given blessing for that space. And, and from there, what you see is, is really history. And we continue to grow and we continue to come together uh, as an institution in, that, in those spaces. And now we have 10 beds and we have a bed that was created by the Cascadia Garden Club. And we've been able to have research happen down at the farm and had classes engage with the farm and, you know, just people coming and foraging on all of the various resources that we have, whether it be tomatoes, which get picked in a moment's notice and <laughs> then, you know, peppers and tomatillos and all of these awesome resources um, and just trying to show people that you can grow food sustainably and you can either you can it's scalable so you know that's taught me being one of the farm managers how to grow food at scale in my own home and so now I have my own garden and I think others have really taken that and run with it in their own homes and in their own lives, which is awesome. So that's one of the campus food spaces. Can you tell us about the food forest, the other main campus food space? Yeah, the, the food forest is a really, for me, it was an exciting space. It's, it's a permaculture concept, fundamentally, in which you create a, as opposed to an orchard, which is a specific tree planted in rows to maximize production of a specific 
fruit that that tree provides and then you manage all of its other the inputs the fertilizing the pollination the you know watering all that kind of stuff like our orchard uh, down it, at the chase house yeah like the orchard down at the chase house very focused with a single outcome the idea of a food forest is so beautiful because it's this permacultural concept based on recreating a functional deciduous woodland essentially and a deciduous woodland takes care of itself there's nobody out in the in the woods watering and there's nobody out in the woods fertilizing and managing pests so it's trying to get as close to a functioning ecosystem now as you can and so to have the opportunity to do that on campus was fantastic for me it's been in, it would it had been in the back of my mind for some years to to launch forth on an, on a project like that and it's like so many things as a grounds manager and as just as an artist in that way is there's all these ideas you just kind of keep them on your back burner and you know time will reveal itself when you can pull one of those ideas out and apply it and so again we're lucky enough to have Cascadia and their value of experiential learning and energizing their, their landscape um, for that purpose to, again, step up. Um, it was their vice president at the time, looked at their open lawn, essentially a quad area, you, you could say, in a core of a campus, just all turf grass, and approached me and said, would you mind putting together some ideas of how we can energize the space so that it engages the campus community and provides educational opportunities. And of course I agreed to do that. I came up with three, three different design ideas essentially. And I was asked to present them to student groups, to student government groups, to staff groups, to Cascadia leadership groups, and then to let them through their own communications decide kind of what the best path forward would be for their institution. I proposed a, a space that was more playful and whimsical and it included things like labyrinth, a chess board, like a large outdoor chess board and maybe some sculpture. So kind of a Alice in Wonderland type park. Which is still a cool idea. That'd be great. Sounds amazing. I know. It could be a lot of fun. So something that engaged in that way, more of a community and hanging out. Have you visited <laughs> the labyrinth on Bainbridge Island? Like that's that's the neat yeah. thing you could ever do. Mm -hmm. It is cool. Um, the other thing being more of a, I guess, biologic, uh, biology and taxonomy focused, which is let's create an arboretum maybe come up with an idea for a collection of tree types, say fir trees from around the world, or say like they've done at the Arboretum at, at UW Seattle is a New Zealand, Australia collection of plants or you know, something along those lines that would provide a collection that could you know, contribute to the greater good of, of collections and natural history kind of collections and things on campus. And then the other being food forest, so food centric space. And it was every group that I talked to. And again, this is back to that primal need of humans to connect in these ways through food. Um, the food forest 
far and away was what everybody wanted. So I think that the decision was easy for Cascadia to launch in on that, on that project. And so that was in that process was through 2014 and we ended up breaking ground and planting trees in the late winter of 2015. And they're, and they're not just normal orchard trees, right, Tyson? They're not just like apples and pears that things people are used to, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So intentionally, we chose to use species of trees that were completely appropriate to this region. So we're not, you know, unnecessarily taxing any resources to take care of them. So they're appropriately, they're, they're appropriate to this region as far as health and productivity and whatnot. We didn't want to plant trees that people were necessarily familiar with. So the apples, the pears, and the cherries that you always find in the supermarkets in the Northwest, and the the Northwest is so famous for, wanted it to have a layer beyond that that showed that there's so many more both types of food that you can grow and harvest from trees in the Northwest. And there was also another aspect of it that was surprising to me and completely unintended is that just by default, a lot of the species and varieties of trees outside of those apples and cherries and pears have their either native ranges or their commonly cultivated for commercial purposes roots in, you know, similar climates in Eastern Europe and in Asia. And so we had unintentionally created this cultural garden as well that revealed itself to me during tours when there'll be international students who would say oh i that you know come to the front of the class as i'm giving these talks on these exotic you know foods that people don't know about oh this i know like i don't know any plants in the landscape and i've been living in the city my whole life but this i know and i know recipes about it and i know it from my families you know my grandmother's house. And that started happening more and more and more and more. And it was because we had these plants that have these cultural connections around the globe. And that was so cool to see happen. Yeah, I love that. It it keeps happening to me too. And like, I've written a couple blogs to feature some of these and the Chinese Hawthorne one is always the most popular. (laughs) I'm still getting hits and and views of that one. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Yes. And these are, you know, I, I, I didn't know anything about any of these trees and shrubs that I planted uh, beforehand either. So it was a, it was a learning process for me. It was so fantastic to be able to have granted the opportunity to do that. I learned so much. So again, you've got these layers, you've got this, this cultural layer of connection. You've got this layer of being exposed to new foods that are commonly eaten all over the world. And that could very well be commercial, commercially grown in the Northwest. Um, they're just not available in our supermarkets. And then and the other layer of ecological function in that we designed it in a way that it was supposed to function as a forest ecosystem. So all of these different layers that each one on their own way can contribute to the experiential learning mission of Cascadia. I think it's been a really successful garden and really ties in well with the rest of that space. Uh, Just a little bit of an aside for those of you who 
are or are not familiar with the core of Cascadia, there's kind of three distinct plots in that space. One of them on the south end near the library being the food forest. Across the crescent path, there's a densely planted bed that's lush with all sorts of different perennials, flowering perennials. That's a pollinator garden. All those are wild type species that all readily offer nectar and pollen to all of our native pollinators. And our research shows that it's just a huge resource and mm-hmm. it supports the bees much beyond any other space on campus because yeah. of the plants that we have intentionally put in there for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, and as you know, Alexa, you can't talk about food and food consumption and growing food without recognizing the pollinators. And one right? out of every three bites of food we take is pollinated by bees. So yes. absolutely, we got to have that symbiotic, you know, mm-hmm. planting of their foraging resources. And then also to try to get our food pollinated to have those areas close together so that the bees mm-hmm. can be attracted to pollinating our food. Mm-hmm. And so th- this is really interesting because we're tying in two the garden and to food, all of these different, it's not, it's not just the farm and we're growing a broccoli. There's like, we've got pollinator issues that it deals with and that's necessary. We've got ecosystem function and, and land management practices that tie into how we grow those foods that are, that's there. We've got one of my favorite aspects of it, the cultural component of it, which is very human and very much defines us and is the way that we can enter into other cultures is through food and recipes and eating. It's so fascinating to me how much growing some food on campus ties to one could say everything. I think if we were creative enough to tie it all together. So getting, getting to the end of that, um, that aside and the third space in Cascadia's core being the meadow area with the large uh, or the emerging um, big leaf maple coming from the center of it. Again, another radical expression of organic land management and a future that we maybe need to be imagining more of, which is a space that would otherwise be viewed as turf, as a lawn to be mowed, doesn't have to be. It can actually be left to express itself and provide all sorts of, again, this ecological function and this transformation through the seasons. So again, the food forest really contributes to this greater idea that Cascadia has happening in the core of their campus of examples of different examples of organic land management or sustainable land management. Yeah, I really enjoy the way that it's flourishing and it's just alive much more than you know just walking by say the graduation lawn on the Cascadia side of campus or even the promenade of UW Bothell where it's a little bit more mowed and manicured you can just tell how alive those spaces are and I that to me really resonates with the way that I want to approach landscaping and aesthetics to me that is more attractive and I think that others feel that way as well so I really appreciate it. And for me, you know, coming to the Northwest, I had never lived here before. Uh, it sort of feels like 
I'm hiking in the Northwest, right? This is sort of a natural space that is just part of the landscape, not this is part of this campus that this is manicured and you know, controlled in a sense. It's, it's really just a, a more natural experience in a sense, which is, I think people also appreciate. Yeah, and to that point, from a UW perspective, we have UW Seattle, which is very urban, very, you know, Seattle and very paved and not not the way that we run our campus at all. And then there's Tacoma, which, you know, also very urban, not many green spaces. And then we have UW Bothell and, you know, UW Seattle and UW Tacoma have their own identities, but our identity as UW Bothell is in the trees and having that natural, I mean, our 58 acre wetland, that is huge for our identity. Yeah, exactly. So I think that that just kind of all wraps into one big who we are, what we represent, things like that, which is awesome. And that living laboratory too, that's a huge part of our campus, especially with the wetland. So we talked about the two main food spaces on campus. However, there are a lot of other spaces integrated throughout campus. Tyson, could you tell us more about those spaces? Yes, certainly. We are you know, intentionally trying to expand the the food growing examples on campus. And you can do it in many, many ways. Um, We're integrating a lot of of edible plants, a lot of native edible plants, evergreen huckleberry being one of them, the service berry being another. That's even a commonly used tree in some of the parking lots because it's so drought tolerant and and resistant to that harsh environment. So we're consciously trying as we develop the landscape, even in some of our bigger projects, to suggest native plant choices that fill that niche of edible resources. So again, multiple layers of function from the plants that we're planting. So they're scattered throughout campus in a in a lately a more intentional way. We've also carved out other theme type edible spaces. So we have an herb walk, which are your traditional culinary herbs planted in a mixed, attractive, you know, perennial border. Things like thyme and sage and lavender, rosemary. It's very fragrant, fragrant and beautiful. Yes. And it's, uh, yeah, very beautiful. And you don't even need to know that it's a food garden to appreciate so much that it gives. The fragrance is fantastic. If you happen to, it's it's at an elevated walkway on the south end of Utah Bothell's portion of campus uh, down the ramp that goes to the promenade. And it's at kind of hand level to where people can kind of unconsciously run their hand across the foliage as it's emerging um, and releasing that that scent of all those fantastic herbs that Alexa mentioned. So there's that happening. There is the medicinal herb garden that we've just started a year ago up at the Truly House. And that's being led by one of our lead gardeners here on campus from Romania who came to us with a rich history of actually being an herbalist in Romania and supplying pharmacies with the wild herbs that they needed in great quantity in Romania. So comes here, changed courses slightly on his profession, now being 
more of a gardener in public space, but we're mining that. And I know we have things him. like calendula uh, around campus, which he uses to make things like bombs mm-hmm. and solves. And he had given me one and it mm-hmm. is not like lotion. It is so moisturizing and it's <laughs> a magic bomb. So I'm very excited to see what comes out of that medicinal yes. herb garden from, from Adrian. Yeah. Oh, and healing too. It's not, it's, it's a healing thing. So that's a great story, Alexa, because he, we didn't have calendula on campus before Adrian, our, this lead gardener arrived. He literally like, you know, Johnny Appleseed of American history. He came to campus with a bag of calendula seeds and started scattering them around. Now they're uh, tender perennial. Some of them survive the winter, depending on where they're at. But for the most part, they seed flower, they flower and seed and disperse and then just kind of come up everywhere. They don't necessarily need to be irrigated. So everywhere you see them on campus, their progeny of that first little bag of seeds that Adrian started scattering around, you know, from his, you know, old world perspective, it's like, of course, you're going to surround yourself with useful plants. We're stupid to breed petunias that just have big gargantuan flowers and no nectaries and no medicinal value and no food value. Why would we waste our time with that? Just because it maybe looks pretty. Um, Glendula proves all that wrong and that it's beautiful and a host of other, it's edible too, Alexa. The young leaves in salads have a very distinct, Mm -hmm. almost And we have even things like borage down at the farm, which people wouldn't have noticed. And we have, it, it tastes like almost like a cucumber, very fresh and it's bright blue and beautiful. And, you know, it's great for bees. So I even planted it in my yard and it took off. And now I have another plant of borage from last year, which is super exciting. And that can be used for a variety of purposes as well. Some of these non-traditional things we gotta, we gotta mix more into our practices. Well, integrated like new learning opportunities, right? I mean, many people don't even know what borage is. Exactly. But there's a deep history of all, of all of these plants. Like we, we've maybe not chosen, but we have moved away from them. And it's all about recognizing the value that they have and bringing them back and, and, and celebrating them. So I, I think that's one thing, the landscape as a whole and our identity can do is bring back some of those types of plants. We're not always looking to the future of horticulture and what the next best colored variety of this is, or the next, you know, hybrid with bigger flowers of this is. Not at all. It's about looking beyond that and in a lot of cases backwards and connecting with the plants they're so important to humans over time. And they're no less beautiful. As both of you know, the calendula and the borage, it's just that they have been looked at for so long that human nature is, bores. it bores me now. So we look for the next best. I think by revealing all of these other layers of food and medicine and function and pollinator contributions that you can expand this idea of what beautiful is. Beautiful is more than just how the flower looks on the outside, but beauty is 
is deeper, right? You know, we teach our kids that when we look at each other. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of that going on on campus. It's kind of fun. I mean, if you don't know what you're looking at, you wouldn't necessarily recognize a lot of the food resources on campus, which is the way I like it because it gives me something as an educator and as a tour guide to reveal to people. It also provides that opportunity for discovery for everybody who comes on campus, that there's little hidden gems as Easter eggs all over the place on this campus. I mean, some people don't even know that an apple comes off of a tree. I've had students come exactly. to me, you know, we're, we're uh, connecting back to our food. Where does it come from? How is it grown? And a lot of people are very, very disconnected from that and don't have a clue. So it's awesome to be able to provide that opportunity to connect back to our food and health and things like that. that those types of connections about make me cry sometimes when I'm at home reflecting on what I did that day. If I have a connection like that and I, and I see a student realize something and unlock something within them, oh my, I mean, <laughs> why not just cry about how beautiful that is? You know, that's why we're here. That should be the aspiration of higher education is to continually push those types of moments right and the the outdoor experiential learning concepts around this these food gardens it, it comes close to providing that absolutely so could you really quick tell us about where all of the food on campus goes because we have so much food that comes off of campus and i'm sure our listeners would like to know where it goes who eats it things like that mm -hmm. we certainly encourage free harvest of resources on campus. That being said, there is both an environmental ethic as well as a community ethic in that just take what you need, understand that this is a public space, lots of users. It's not meant to harvest for subsistence for yourself. It's meant, as we've been discussing, as an experiential opportunity. That being said, harvest with respect. And also know that this land is managed organically, so we're not gonna be spraying poisons and chemicals on these resources, but also recognize it's a part of a living system. And there is feces from wildlife raining down from the sky. Practice the same safety precautions as you would at home, which is you know washing things before you put them in your mouth. Certainly know, be confident that you know what it is that you're ingesting before you ingest it. So that's one way we certainly encourage all of these food resources to be experienced by the campus users. Another main end user for our, or for our, our products, particularly the farm produce, is through the, the pantries on campus. There's the Husky Pantry that supplies uh, students, faculty, and staff in need of food with those resources and the Kodiak Cave which does a similar, provides a similar mission for the Cascadia community. So hundreds of pounds of produce each year has been going to those organizations. And we only look forward to more partnerships and bigger partnerships uh, with them in the future, hopefully bringing in a little bit more of an educational component to their missions as well, which we can provide on the ground. 
And how can students, staff, and faculty get involved with some of the edible spaces and the campus farm and food forest? I would direct them to contact Alexa Russo or Stefan Claussen at the Utah Bothell and Cascadia Sustainability Offices, respectively, to give you a whole bunch of ideas and insights into opportunities. Certainly, if you see a gardener around campus, I challenge you to engage them, ask them all sorts of questions, have them teach you something. We are here to educate. We do not want to disappear into the background. It makes us feel valuable. So that's another way to connect and engage. Uh, student clubs are another way. Students have lots of power to engage the campus through their clubs and club council and the money provided through that. Sky's the limit as far as opportunities through different clubs. It's been a real pleasure, yeah, to have our clubs engage in the farm and food forest areas. Uh, we had a garden club that built that stone bed we talked about. They're really engaged about growing things, about creating more spaces for growing. Uh, that was in 2018. 17 2018 and now we still have an active sustainability club that's trying to do things like trash cleanups teach about the sdgs engage in the food forest and do like picnics and learn about berry picking so it's really thrilling to see them all yeah and on the utah bothell side we've had the utah bothell sustainability student action club come to some of our work parties obviously before covid but we would have work parties frequently and students would get involved there as well and we hope to continue those work parties past COVID. Is there anything that you'd like to add to this episode that we haven't talked about yet? Any amazing musings that you think about when you go home and reflect anything like that? I would say make a conscious effort to connect with your food in whatever way that you can. From a personal perspective, it has been one of the richest avenues towards understanding people, understanding in the environment, understanding myself and, and understanding my practice of gardening, of understanding my children and my family. Find some way to connect with food. I do it through, through travel and through cooking. It's provided me these incredible opportunities to engage people in a real way from other cultures that would not necessarily let me in in other ways, nor would I have felt comfortable engaging them in a deeper way. But food is such a boundary breaker. Food is the connecting yes. point. Yes, it is. And it you could argue that it is the biggest contributor, contributor to our culture both the human culture, but then the distinct cultures around the world. So influenced by food, tradition in those cultures influenced by food, health, medicine influenced by food. So find a way to connect. Another way to connect if you do have land or the desire to grow your own. I know that my dad grew a garden when I grew up and it's some of my earliest memories. And I never had any conscious intention or conscious value of it as a kid. But I'll tell you, when I got older and I started educating myself and I started to become my own person, all of that connection with food and growing it from my childhood came back. And I, without a doubt, knew where food come, came from, knew that I could, as an individual, grow it. All these barriers had already been removed from me that I didn't even know 
could be there and I see in other people, it can be done. Get out there and plant something. So there's that. I, I grow, I started growing food at my current residence when I had kids to expose them to that same thing. And it's just so fulfilling. And even if you um, live in an apartment or something, you can grow herbs on your windowsill or, yeah. you know, there's mm-hmm. shade tolerant plants that you can, you can grow too. So don't let that be the barrier. Yes, exactly. Plant a seed. It's still a miracle that it grows if it's on your windowsill or if it's in a lavish garden, it's a miracle every time. And then I guess, lastly, the third kind of aspect of engaging through food is the idea of sustainability, the idea of dealing with, with climate change, with dealing with the, the problems in the world. God, it's, for me, it's, it's a solution. It's a personal solution to all that madness. And it's really strengthening to have a solution that you can grab your, in your hands. It's not a complex system that's out of your control. And it can tie into all sorts of resource, using of resource issues and equitability of land use. And, you know, it's, it, it's an avenue into that. So I'd say, yeah, find, find what excites you through food and pursue it and be con- and consciously pursue it and see where it leads you. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on this episode. And I'm sure that our listeners will hear from you again as you're such a sustainability resource and wealth of knowledge on our campus. And we just appreciate your continued partnership and just sharing everything that you know with us. You're just you're just an awesome teammate to have. So thank you. Oh, well, you're very welcome. And thank you, Alexa. You, you and Stefan have been wonderful partners in this journey. It's been great. It's, I feel like the collective that we've been able to achieve both within our small group, but then as a greater, you know, UW Bothell Cascadia partnership, we've achieved such great things. Yeah, we've come a long way. Yeah, we have. (laughs) And I so look forward to where we're going to end up uh, in the future. So happy to chat. All of you, if you see me around campus, say hello. And I must go back out to the garden. See you later. (laughs) We want to thank Tyson again for joining us. This was such a treat to talk to him. And we'll have more episodes talking about food growing areas on campus and about different activities, how students can get involved and about our permaculture practices. We'd love to hear from you too about what else you'd want to hear about from podcasts. So please send us comments or message us in our normal contact information. Thanks for listening. And this is the Common Cause for Sustainability podcast brought to you by University of Washington Bothell and Cascadia College. Find more about our sustainability efforts through our website, uwb.edu slash sustainability and cascadia.edu slash BASSP. See you next time.